the middle way. It's like when you show up and you care and you're, and you, and you're working hard, but you don't, your identity, your identity isn't wrapped up in it so much so that you're like freaking out about everything and trying to make everything into a masterpiece. And then, and then clogging the, the, the valves of your own creativity. Most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. We all have our own road to walk. Nothing's perfect and there's going to be a price for everything. There are no rules. Welcome to The Resistance, featuring meaningful conversations. I think I'm grieving the death of part of me. It's not about being the star and being seen. It's about That explore that very space between who we are and who we say we want to be. I'm your host, Matt Connor. At this point, Emil Mosseri has every reason to avoid what terrifies him. As the Oscar-nominated composer for the film Minari, along with myriad other projects, films like Kajillionaire and The Last Black Man in San Francisco, to Amazon TV series Homecoming, Mosseri is undoubtedly going to become a go-to composer, an artist for whom work will come calling to fill his time and consume his energy. But Emil told me in this episode of The Resistance that that's not quite enough. That's certainly not to say that he's ungrateful for the work. He is. And he's also humbled by the process. He's very approachable and accessible. But the opposite is also true. That somehow there's an internal drive that pushes him to create something deeply personal and substantive. Something that's all his own versus serving maybe the creative work of someone else. On this episode of The Resistance, we spoke with Emil to hear more about the devastating beauty of Minari and his first time watching it, his journey to even becoming a composer in the first place, and this tension of working towards someone else's creative vision instead of his own. Here's our conversation with Minari composer Emil Mosseri. Hello and welcome to The Resistance. My name is Matt Connor, and today I'm just so thrilled to have Emil Mosseri with us. How are you today, by the way? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Um, I'm all right. I'm all right. How are you within the, the pandemic cloud that we're all under right now, by the way? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm actually, at the moment, I'm in Tel Aviv visiting my, my dad and my family here. They live here and... Uh, They've all had both shots of the vaccine and they're, you know, so I'm kind of, there's a new life that I have. It's like, it's the future and the past all wrapped in one out here a little bit. I mean, everyone's, (laughs) people are still wearing masks, but, but things are open and um, everybody, I think 70% of the country is vaccinated at this point, they're saying so. Wow. And that's, that's growing each day. So yeah, I feel like you caught me in a weird time because a couple weeks ago i was i was very much in the in the washing machine spin cycle groundhog day loop situation you know Mm. yeah 70 percent sounds great coming from the heartland of of the states yeah no it's it's maddening when you see how well they're doing in here or in in korea friend was telling me yesterday it's just it's 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 exciting but also maddening because you're like ah i wish 
we were there, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. what can you do for one day at a time? All right. Well, so excited to chat with you today. I, I told you before we started recording that I had just watched Minari for the first time last night and was just so really overwhelmed, overwhelmed by the by the the overall viewing experience and and found myself very emotional. Before we dive into the resistance itself and where we typically start, I I, I guess I wanted to ask you the first time you saw the entirety of the work at once. How was that for you? That was a, it's a great question. I, what comes to mind is I, I first saw the, 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 the experience that comes to mind is when I first watched the, an early cut of the film, which wasn't the finished product. I had that we hadn't recorded the orchestra yet, but since I'd written the score from the script stage and, and written most of the, the melodies and themes and, and pieces of music that ended up in the film, I'd written and recorded them before they started shooting. Once they finished shooting, I'd watch an early cut of the film that was more or less a version of what ended what the film ended up being. And I watched it with Isaac, the director, and Harry Yoon, the, the editor, in Frogtown in LA, in this studio that they were that they were working editing the film at. And and I was I was had a similar reaction to you where I was. I was pretty bulldozed by it emotionally. I was, I was kind of a wreck mm. and sitting next to the, the man who made it, who's also so, so fearlessly diving into his own childhood memories and his own family and, you know, putting his parents and his grandmother up on the screen like that. It was sort of a trip. It was a trippy experience sitting next to him, even though I'd already read the script and I'd been, I'd visited them on set and I'd, and I'd seen all the dailies and I obviously knew what was going to happen in the film, the way that they'd put it together and seeing it all come together like that at that moment, uh, I was, I kind of was blindsided by it. It kind of, I was like yeah. snotting and crying and trying to, trying to keep my <laughs> shit together. And, uh, but then I realized, Oh, maybe it's good to let it rip. You know, don't, don't try to clean it up. Yeah. He'll like that. I'm crying. You know, that's kind of the idea. <laughs> It is, I think. Yeah, so it was. You know, I was kind of negotiating with myself the whole time, but during the end of it, it I had no say in it anymore. You know, the end of that film was so powerful. <laughs> I, I had like at the, by the end, I was like, "Oh wow!" Like I, whatever my plan was, was kind of out the window for trying to keep it cool in front of <laughs> in front of my new friend Isaac. Um, I love it. Anyway, from there, like working on it, seeing different screenings at Plan B at their th- at their screening room and then going to Sundance and seeing the final product was, was overwhelming in, in another way, just watching it with an audience. But the one that has the most poignant, like most powerful memory for me is that first viewing. Sure. Emil, I want to go back because we typically start every episode here. And I'd like to read a quote to you from Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art, which is our source material. And I'd love to get your comment or how this strikes you. Sure. Pressfield writes this. He says, most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. And between the two stands the resistance. Uh, I've spoken to you before with your band, The Dig, that now here we are talking about an Oscar-nominated film that you've 
composed the music for, uh, certainly at different stages, I'm sure you've had different resistance, but what does that mean for you now? It's Well, it's, first of all, w- what a heavy quote. You know, I'm trying to think of it in the in the context of an of being an artist, and also in the context of of just being a human being. You know, like sure the fact that we hold both of those things simultaneously within us all the time. Like the way we want to live our unlived version of our lives, and I think of like your fantasies, you know, and like what the kind what how you view yourself, what you what kind of person you want to be, what kind of artist you want to be. And then the gap between that and what you're doing is, I guess that being the resistance, uh, that's a sort of a painful place to live that gap between. I always think of that in the context of like people that have great taste. Uh, if you have great taste, whatever that means, you know, it's subjective, but if you know what greatness is and then whatever you're doing, if it's fallen short of that and you can feel that gap between those two worlds and living in that gap is sort of painful. And that sort of relates to what you call the resistance or what he refers to as the resistance, you know, um, how to close that gap as much as you can. I think that's sort of what being a huge part of what being an artist is all about is just trying to chase that thing. And then, and then at some point maybe realizing that it's a fiction, the minute you think you've actually closed that gap, then you're kind of dead in the water. (laughs) because you're not going to get any better and you're not, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's a tricky one. You know, I I always feel like I've, I've watched, I've listened to music that I've made with other people in the room and been excited by it and horrified by it all at the same time. And I think having somebody else in the, in, in the room listening to something is a hugely useful tool because it, it reveals itself to me when I actually think about it. Hmm. When um, there's a third party. When there's a third party there, yeah. It's like if I play, it's a song I wrote and I and I play it for somebody, then I'm like, oh, I'm excited for them to hear this part that's coming up. Or I'm like, oh, I, oh, I really don't want them to hear what's gonna, about to happen in four seconds from now or whatever. And I wouldn't have known if I were just in a vacuum, you know? And, yeah. And I think... I don't know if this is connecting to the quote at all, just to what my, just my first reaction. But when you talk about the, the, the space between your unlived life and your actual life and holding on to those two things at the same time, um, that's what comes to mind to me is like how to be a version of yourself that you've, or try to like be a version of yourself as an artist that, that, that you are the least horrified by you know <laughs> at least <laughs> the least cringy about you know at <laughs> least cringy i like it yeah i don't know if if that makes any sense but that's yeah you bring up a great point and I'm, I'm really fascinated by this because you brought up the idea of a third person as a way to sort of honestly look at your own art or at least what you really feel about it and it feels like you're describing the reveal i think a lot of people have like the story that they haven't read to anyone, the painting that they haven't shown anyone, the music that they haven't played for anyone. And yet, but you're describing the reveal as helping us to bridge that gap, to move between lived and unlived, but it also feels so painful, right? Like that vulnerability. It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I'm in such awe of, you know, someone like Isaac or Miranda, another filmmaker or, or Joe, these filmmakers that I've worked with, 
on these last few films that I've done in this space, in the film space, because all of their works are super vulnerable and deeply exposed. But I think in, in the process of writing anything, if you have a third party there watching it, then it, it, it is exactly that. It's that big reveal. It, it, it shows it's, it's more importantly than what, what do they think of it? It's, it's, Oh, what do I actually think of this? You know? And I need another person there sometimes to, to actually know, you know, because there's accountability there's somebody there, you know, there's accountability for your, what you've done. If it's just you and it falls short of your ideals and, and, and that gap is sizable, there's nobody to really, that you have to really answer to. It's just you. Hmm. I don't know. I think that, that, that thing is, I hear about certain artists, um, feeling that same way. And it's always really inspiring hearing about that. Like I think hearing about artists that, that feel like they've have a hard time listening to their own work that are like artists that I think of is just as gods, you know, mm. when you hear them say things like this, it, it humanizes them in a way that's really kind of inspiring and, and refreshing and, and reassuring really. <laughs> I think Ra- Randy Newman said something about like writing songs to like, going to work every day or going fishing or something like he still feels like even after decades and decades of, of brilliant work that when he sits down at the piano, he doesn't know that something's going to happen. He doesn't know that he can make something happen even now, Mm. but he does know that if he doesn't show up to work, then certainly nothing will happen, you know, or if he doesn't sit down at the piano or, you know, or put his, his fishing rod in the, in the water, he's not going to catch a fish, you know? So it's nice when you hear people say things like this rather than sometimes what you hear, which is also true to other artists that they like, it's just kind of beamed to them and it's always the faucet's always on, you know? I think Joe, Joe Strummer said something like that once too, that he was like, he said, we're not brilliant. He was about the clash. He was like, we just work harder or something like that. He was like, Sam, <laughs> he's like, Sam Cook, he's brilliant. Like we, we just work harder. You know, we just try harder. And mm-hmm it's kind of refreshing when you hear that, like, Oh wow. Like these, these people that have reached the highest level of, of creative output still don't take any of it for granted or feel like it it has anything to do with their God given gifts. You know, you know, it depends. It's just like if you put yourself in the game, then something might happen, but there's no guarantee of it. I've heard that several times from artists in some way where they talk about sort of a sort of a built-in humility toward mm-hmm. the craft or toward art or the muse, the muse, whatever, however they want to define it. But I've also heard some of the other side, sort of a confidence or a yeah. I mean, some people have been outright, you know, have a swagger about it. Which is amazing too. It's also inspiring. It's just d- d- nice to know that it's. Um, that there's, there's no one way. Mm. Like I, I, I've, you know, Neil Young would say that he doesn't even bother trying to write a song unless there's a full moon out and it just kind of tumbles out of him in, in, in real time. Like he'll write it. If a song, some, you know, some thing was Mr. Soul or this, this amazing, one of my favorite songs is it's like the song is five minutes long and, and, and it took him five minutes to write it. It just kind of came in that way. But then you hear like Leonard Cohen or Paul Simon or these people that, that are equally as brilliant agonizing o- over lyrics and take, t- taking them decades to write one song, even, 
sometimes, you know, so it's sort of like, oh, there's no one way, but yet both things are inspiring really to hear. I mentioned earlier, we spoke for the first time, maybe back in, I don't know, was it 2015 or something? You, your band, The Dig, had just put out a single called Fourth of July, and that came after an EP, You and I and You. Do I have that right? Um, you, Yeah, You and I and You was, was actually the short film that Terrence Nance, as brilliant director, had, had made. Uh, from two songs on the EP, but the EP was just you and I. Okay. We probably should have called it you and I and you. It's he's, he's, he was maybe ahead of, ahead of the game, <laughs> ahead, of, <laughs> ahead of us at the time and, and forever, you know, he's brilliant, but you and I and you, I think is a, I think he just improved the title of our EP for this short film. You know? <laughs> well, um, that was the last time that, that I'd spoken with you and, and you've certainly come, um, or your resume is certainly broadened and and is just so incredible since then with these with these works. I guess I wonder your relationship with the resistance maybe between the last time I would have spoken with you. In some ways do you feel less resistance or and however you would define that, do you feel like it never changes no matter the level of success? Or experience? Does it take different forms? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think that um, I think that you having some time away from one medium and stepping into another medium can help you. Can has helped me creatively in a way that I'm really grateful for. You know, being able to starting to collaborate more intensely or more more often with visual artists and and not only other musicians i think was is is sort of open things up creatively you know to an extent and and i think that that part of it is is the real is the tangible thing is the is the real the most tangible achievement i think is like when you some music you wrote found a home in in somebody's work that's working on what you consider to be the highest level you know like these directors that i've been lucky enough to work with i think are operating on the highest level and if if music i've written has found a home in it that's a real rewarding feeling and feels like a real achievement the other things i think are uh are are incredibly validating and exciting you know like, like minari for instance having this response that it's been having and with the oscars and 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 BAFTAs and the award circuit has been incredibly exciting and sort of unexpected to, to have it be recognized by this community. But I think it's, uh, it's also like, I'm trying to, to not lose sight of like the, 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 the more, the thing of, of, of just the collaboration in and of itself and the, and the work itself, like connecting with people. It's like the, the the most intoxicating and rewarding thing. And I think as far as it relates to the resistance, it's hard to start to articulate. I think being a songwriter and then switching over to this other medium in a way is open things up to an extent because it's, it's what they, it's a, uh, as I don't, I, cause I don't identify really as a film composer. I, I, I've always wanted to do it and I've, fell in love with film music at a young age, but 
I think sometimes for artists, uh, myself included, the tricky part is to not get in your own way and have yourself, your sense of identity and, and like somehow be a roadblock, you know, because or put too much weight on it. Like they call it in Buddhism, like the middle way. A friend of mine was telling me like the middle way. It's like when you show up and you care and you're, and you, and you're working hard, but you don't, your identity, your identity isn't wrapped up in it so much so that you're like freaking out about everything and trying to make everything into a masterpiece. And then, and then clogging the, the the valves of your own creativity. So I think just trying to like, I guess the thing that I've been trying to, the only thing that I think has changed in the last few years is just trying to stay out of my own way. And then just also just the, the, the incredibly fortunate situation of having my music attached to the vehicle or the machine of, of a film and have it, have that, that vessel, have it like, reach more people that way because i don't i don't actually believe that the i don't believe that there's all there's a, there's a direct connection between great music or great art and success i think sometimes you have both but there's there's so many brilliant records brilliant composers brilliant films that 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 we'll never see and hear you know like i have so many i know already like so many brilliant records that very few people have heard to, to believe that if something is truly great, it'll break through. I, I, I don't really believe in that anymore. I think it's, I think if you make music long enough, then like, like the whole Randy Newman thing, like if you put your, if you go to work every day and you, and you go fishing every day, then you're more likely to catch a fish uh, creatively. And as far as like breaking through or connecting with audiences, but I, I don't think of it as a direct connection anymore, you know? it's hard. It's all very elusive stuff. You know, it's hard to, to wrap your head around it, all of it, you know? Um, and I'm just really honored to, to be, to, you know, to be working on, on, on films as poetic and powerful as these. You mentioned being able to stay out of your own way. How successful are you at that now, maybe versus a year, three, five ago? Um, I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's a, it it depends. It, it, it depends on um, something about accountability to somebody else, like the accountability to to a director or a film. You have less opportunities to get in your own way. You know, you have you have to deliver something, and there's deadlines, and there's there's other things that to consider. And it's sort of the sort of sink, the, the the sink or swim thing, where you're like you have a situation where you don't really have time to stand in your own way and overthink something and re-record it 5,000 times and, <laughs> and question everything because one, the time constraints are so, you know, the, 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 the timelines are, are coming fast and furious, the deadlines, you know, for what you have to deliver to, to a film, but also because you, you, um, if, if you send something to a director and they fall in love with it, it's hard then to to like try to beat it and beat it and beat it because attachments start to happen where they were attached to a piece, piece of music and it's working. So it's kind of like, don't poke the bear in a way. <laughs> and I think that whole don't poke the bear thing can sometimes serve the music because it's like, you don't have time to kind of futz with it and, and, and sterilize it and, and scrub it of its character and its personality. But this is where I really struggle because it's also very convenient. It's, you know, to the lazy part of my creative brain to like 
<laughs> to be like, oh, well, like it's, I'm not being lazy. I'm, I'm just not poking the bear. You know, I, it's, it's hard to navigate what is what. It's hard to decipher what's laziness and what's like, like confidence and, and like healthy confidence for your, for your creativity. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned several times in a positive way, which of course, um, like working with a, with some of these directors that you have and like the privilege it is and, and the, you know, the beauty of this accountability, et cetera. But I also wonder, like, is there a shadow side there? I, I guess I'm trying to put myself in your shoes thinking, oh, this art that I'm creating isn't serving my own interests or ends. I've got to serve the, the creative vision of someone else. Mm-hmm. And I guess I wonder for you, do you need a different outlet at times to have something that's all your own? I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Um, I think that, you know, I've never actually, I've never put out something that's all my own within film or without film with the dig. I was part of a, it was a collaboration. It was a, four artists in a band, three songwriters. I see myself in, in a lot of it and, and I'm incredibly proud of all of it, but none of it was like completely my own, like a whole record completely my own, you know? And with film, it's similar that it's in service of someone else's vision. It's important to me to make these, when I turn these scores into records for these films that they feel like records that I would want to listen to and that I, that I'm proud of, you know, that I, I feel like good about my name being on them. And I think I, I feel like a lot of it, it does. I do, I do feel connected to it, but now I'm in the process of making, uh, my own record. Uh, I'm in the process of making two records, one with another artist that I love named Caitlin Aurelia Smith. That's sort of a collaboration. And the other one, uh, is a, a record of that's just mine and neither of them are attached to films. But the one that's just mine is terrifying for that reason because it's like, let <laughs> I me mean, talk about accountability. There's nobody, there's nobody to point to. If you know what I mean, it's not, it's all on me. But um, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's scary and exciting. I've always been in in awe of performers, you know, solo artists that way, you know. And I've only once or twice in my life played, performed shows by myself. And it was, it was terrifying and exhilarating. And, and, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I did it in a way that wasn't even, you know, wasn't even promoted. It was just me being in a bar to whoever was there, you know, but I think that that like, yeah, I think there is the, I do feel the need to like make things that are, are, aren't in service of something else that are just sort of the end of the road. Like what, like what informs that? Cause I'm hearing you say that, like it's terrifying and I'm thinking, why do it? Certainly with your resume now, you would never have to, you know, you wouldn't lack for work working with other people. Well, I think the ter- the terrifying thing is, is like the, is, is the reason not to do it. And also the reason to do it at the same time. I don't know. I, I also just completely honestly, I just feel like there's, there's the thing in your brain of uh, wanting to, to to have something that feels just like you. And yeah, it is, it is, you are putting yourself in, in a more vulnerable place, but I don't know. I think I, I love so, so many records that are, that come from that singular place and aren't in service of, of something else. And I feel like, um, and I love obviously so many, 
things that are, are purely collaborative, but I feel like, I guess very selfishly, maybe I, I, I would like to be able to contribute to that world too, or to like to have, to have my music just to put something out there. I, you know, that's just me would feel rewarding and new and, and, uh, satisfying, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I know what you mean. I do, I do wrestle with that. Cause when you say, even just hearing you say that, like I, I don't, I, I, I could shy away from it and um, there would be nothing wrong with that either. You know, I just, uh, I don't know. It's an exciting thing. And, and there's also ways that you can bring in color. Like I'm working with other people that produce my record and contribute and play on my record and things like that. And I think it's like, you can get, you can have the collaborative spirit in, injected into the, into the piece and in, into the work, but still kind of be directed or, 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 or be coming, have it come from a singular place of, of just me. You've been listening to the resistance. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate us on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And for more information and further episodes, you can find us at listentotheresistance.com. Engineering, production, and additional music by Jake Kirkpatrick. My name is Matt Connor, and I'm your host. Thanks for listening.